0: As you've heard me say um, on a couple of occasions, uh, the first half of the flood story that concludes at the end of chapter 7 focuses on decreation. The focus is on the return to chaos, Uh, it focuses on the undoing or the destruction of what God had created in the beginning. The second half that begins in verse 1 of chapter 8 focuses on recreation. It focuses on the reestablishment of the order that once was in the beginning. It focuses on redoing, it focuses on restoring that which had been created. Gordon Wenham. Puts it this way, he said in chapter 8, verse 1, the whole atmosphere has changed. Whereas the impersonal waters of destruction triumphing everywhere had dominated the whole picture. Here, the words God remembered Noah sets the narrative in a new and optimistic and personal direction. He goes on to say, there the waters triumph, here they retreat. There the ark floats over the earth. Here it lands on the mountains. There the high mountains are covered. Here they reappear above the waves. And the division is not only seen in the content. The division is also seen in the literary structure that Moses uses as he writes. In verse 4 of chapter 7, he wrote... For seven days I will send rain. In verse 10, he wrote, um, And after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In verse 12, he wrote, And rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. And then in verse 24, he, he wrote, And the waters prevailed on the earth for hundred and fifty days. But now notice in chapter 8, in verse 3, he says, at the end of 150 days, the waters abated. In verse 6, he says, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the windows of the ark. Now, verse 10 says, he waited another seven days. And verse 12 says, then he waited another seven days. You see the, See what Moses is doing as he's describing this. Is, it's 7, 7, 40, 150, 150, 7 We see it in the content and in the structure. We see it in that numeric pattern. You say, well, really, why begin there? Is that really important for us to understand? And I, I think it is because I think it's very easy for us to overlook certain things due to our familiarity with the story. It's very possible for us to miss some of the details And understand the importance of those details and not only only the content of the details, but the retelling of those details. Because most of those details we don't pick up in the children's versions of the story, do we? And it's my hope that tonight that we, as we delve into some of these details that we have perhaps forgotten or maybe missed... As we've read the story over and over again, that we will we will we will glean something from them, and not just for knowledge's sake. It's my hope that we come to appreciate and marvel not only at, at the sovereignty of God and the omnipotence of God and the mercy of God and the justice of God, but that we also come to appreciate His magnificent creativity. Because God's behind the events. As, as well as the retelling of the events. He ordained and worked providentially through the details of the flood. He, works, he worked providentially through the details of the events prior to the flood. He worked providentially through the details of the events after the flood. But he also inspired Moses by his spirit to write it all down the way he did. And he did it for those in Moses' day as well as for ours. So you'll notice there are just two points to our outline, but never fear, those points are very full. Um, We're going to look at two things. We are going to, or I want us to see how the Lord remembered Noah, and then how Noah responded to the Lord. All right. Kids, you'll find your words in the normal place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue, all right? Uh, Heavenly Father, in these moments, please give us humble and contrite spirits. Open our eyes. In our ears, enlighten our hearts, so that we might in fact glean all that you have for us in your word tonight. Keep us from all worldly wisdom and, and please attend with power the truth preached. And as always, may we be convicted and edified and refreshed and comforted. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and grant me grace that I might do something good for you this evening. Use me as a channel for your glory and for the good of your people it 's in christ 's name that I pray amen well, the narrative or narrative continues, but this half of the narrative begins with the words "And God remembered Noah and boys and girls, I, I know that sounds like um, that God somehow had forgotten Noah and had forgotten His family, while they were all in the ark. But I want you to know that God didn't forget Noah like I forget names of people that I haven't seen in a while. God didn't forget Noah like you sometimes forget not doing the things that your parents have asked you to do. It's a totally different thing. Um, when, When Moses said God remembered Noah, he meant something completely different because the Lord never forgets his people. Right? The Lord never forgets his people. In the words of Lincoln Duncan, this that we see is not an act of memory. This is an act of grace. You see, it conveys the idea that God was mindful of Noah. And the truth is, we see throughout Scripture that those he's mind, mindful of, he naturally He well, it leads to him naturally acting on behalf of. So what we what we see is that Noah is. I'm sorry, God is mindful of Noah, and because he's mindful of Noah, he acts on Noah's behalf. Derek Kidner puts it this way: it combines the ideas of faithful love and timely intervention. God's remembering always implies movement towards the object of His mercy. And remember last week we said we are recipients of His gratuitous mercy. So where we're headed is because He has shown us great mercy, He also moves toward us. When Moses wrote, God remembered Noah, what he was saying was God had made promises to Noah and God was going to keep those promises. God moved toward Noah and he moved toward him to assure him that he would be faithful in keeping his promises. And within the story, we see three things in particular that God does. Three things that I'm calling acts of remembrance that exhibit that faithfulness. And the first is this. We see God removing the water. It's simple, I know, but just as he caused the water to rise, he was now causing the water to recede. Just as the waters had been loosed, just as he had loosed the waters, he was now restraining the waters. Just as he had opened the windows of heaven, he was now closing the windows of heaven. Just as the fountains had burst forth, he had caused them to burst forth, he was now sealing them. The water that that he had once separated above and below the expanse, he was now again separating it between uh, above and below the expanse. And just as the spirit had had moved over the face of the waters at the beginning, the wind was now blowing over the waters and was in in the in the business of restoration. And this, by the way, wouldn't be the last time or won't be the last time as we read through scripture, it won't be the last time that we see the wind parting the waters of judgment. Ladies, as you were involved in your study of Exodus, you know that in Exodus chapter 14, the wind blew and parted the waters of judgment of the Red Sea in order for the Israelites to pass through the waters of judgment unscathed. And then that water was turned loose again and drowned the Egyptians who, was, who were pursuing them. The second act of remembrance was God's sending of an olive leaf. Something as simple as an olive leaf. There are a couple of fun facts about olive vines. Uh, One is that they don't grow on mountains. They only grow in valleys. And the vines are able to grow underwater. So when the dove that Noah sent out a second time returns with that leaf in its mouth, it was a sign that the waters were abating. So the water was no longer 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain. It was now in the valley below. And as Moses tells us in verse 11, Noah knew because of that leaf, Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So what Noah couldn't see with his own eyes, by the way, the window, most believe the window was actually in the roof, not on the side. So when Moses opened the roof, what he could not see He still knew to be true based upon the sun. Noah's circumstances hadn't changed. He was still in the ark. But the Lord was gracious to know that it wouldn't be much longer. Relatively speaking, it is going to be another 45 days or so. But the end was in sight. And interestingly... The dove with an olive branch in its beak has become a sign of peace. And we can see why, can we not? The war that God had waged against evil and corruption and violence was now over. Righteousness and peace was to come and to characterize this new world. And of course, this peace was something the rainbow could possibly possibly symbolize as well, but that's for next week. So we have the water abating, we have the olive leaf, and thirdly, we have, as far as an act of remembrance is concerned, is God verbally speaking to Noah. Verse 15, and and it's not just that he spoke, but it's what he spoke. Look at verse 15. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. And that could be interpreted as as inconsequential. It seems to be a rather matter-of-fact statement. There's not much to it, but I I think there's more to it than that because just as God had had been with Noah or was with Noah in chapter 7, verse 1, when he said, Noah, go into the ark. God had been with Noah and now told him to go out of the ark as if he was in the ark with Noah. Because notice, he doesn't say, come out of the ark, as if he was outside waiting. Noah had been, or God had been with Noah before he entered the ark. God had been with Noah and was with Noah in the ark. He had never left his side. He had been present with Noah since God had chosen to show favor to him. He had been present with his family the whole time. Noah may have felt at times, based on his circumstances, that the Lord had had forgotten him and that had forsaken him. We, We don't know. We're not told. But he may have, from time to time, over the course of a year, somewhere between 365 and 375 days, depending on how you count, there could have been moments where Noah doubted whether or not the Lord was faithful and would keep His promise. Again, we don't, we don't know. But what we know right here is that the Lord was assuring him and reminding him that he had never left him or him. And Brothers and sisters, the same is true for those who are in Christ. It's the same truth. If you're in Christ, the Father remembers you. The Father is mindful of of you, And because He is mindful of you, it leads Him, it has led Him, and continues to lead Him to act on your behalf. You are the object of His mercy. You are the recipients of gratuitous mercy. You found favor in His sight. And that favor has, has nothing to do with anything inherently good within you. It's only because of His grace. And no matter what your circumstances may be, He is with you. He will not forget you. He will never leave you or forsake you. When you feel overwhelmed by your circumstances, when you feel overwhelmed by the situations that you're in, and you feel as though He's far from you, He is actually there right by your side. All the while. And He will be faithful to intervene on your behalf in His time and for His glory in your God. We've also, we've been given His Word, right? Through which He speaks and reminds us of what's true about Him and what's true about ourselves and what's true about our circumstances. And He's given us a sign. Or signs, an olive leaf or branch, so to speak, through the simple common elements of water, bread, and wine. And through those elements, He assures us and reminds us that He is for us, and He's mindful of us, and that He has acted on our behalf. Because He's acted on our behalf at the cross, and continues to act on our behalf. By His Spirit and through His providence. We've been united to Christ. We've been shut in. There is nothing that will change that status. We cannot be moved. Just as we, we just sang. We, we will not be moved. We will not be shaken. We will not be lost. He holds us fast. Because He does not forget His people. But not only did the Lord remember Noah, Noah responded to the Lord. The Lord graciously acted in remembrance, uh, and Noah himself acted as well, but he acted in faith. He responded in in, in ways that exhibited faith and trust in the Lord. Last week we said in chapter 7 he exhibited that faith by getting into the ark. And this week we, we see three In chapter 8, we see three other ways in which he acted in faith. First, we see Noah acting in faith by waiting. Something none of us like to do. In verse 3, Moses wrote, At the end of 150 days, the waters abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And then in verse 13, he wrote, In the 600 and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off the earth. And then in verses 14 to 16, he said in the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said, go out of the ark. And in verse 18, Moses writes, so Noah went out. The boat that had no sails, the boat that had no paddles, the boat that had no rudder that had been drifting for five months in the midst of the storm, Finally, once the waters had receded, it came to rest on the mountains in an area widely believed to be modern day Armenia. But it took seven more months before his family got off. And I think we underestimate how difficult it must have been to wait upon the Lord. Not only for that year, but particularly for that seven months. Knowing that the boat had finally come aground. Yet day after day, they had to continue. He had to continue to to deal with being cooped up with the sights and sounds and smells of the portable zoo. He had to continue to live in the midst of that commotion. We underestimate how difficult it would have been having opened the window. Again, again, probably being in the roof, and to not be able to see the ground below, left to wonder what had been left from all the water. We don't know how difficult it would have been having sent out a raven and then a dove three different times, only to have them come back with just a little bit more information than the week before. And then we don't know how difficult it would have been to actually then remove the roof and be able to see everything and still not be able to go. It was truly a time in which his faith was tested. Patient endurance. Waiting. Again, which none of us like to do. But something in which we're probably all doing in some way. What are you currently waiting upon the Lord for? For what are you currently waiting upon the Lord? Are you in the midst of a particular trial? What temptation or sin are you waiting to experience victory of? What suffering are you waiting for to end? What relationship... Are you waiting for to be restored? What need are you waiting for to be met? What what news or answer are you waiting for to hear, to receive? What decision are you waiting for to be made? Can I tell you that no matter the situation or circumstance, we can patiently endure in faith with hope. And let me remind you too that there is a window to heaven, and it's called prayer, that the Lord has given us to help us in that endurance. The second way Noah acted in faith was through obedience. Notice verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark. And verse 18 says, So Noah went out in Calvin's words, after the incredible weariness of a whole year, when the flood was ceased and new life was apparent on the earth, Noah did not move a foot out of his sepulchre. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's coffin without first receiving instruction from God. The holy man was obedient to God. At God's command, he entered the ark and he remained there until God told him to leave. Noah was constrained. We have to admit he was constrained by the door because the Lord had shut the door. But Noah dared not even try to open it on his own. As much as he probably wanted to, as much as he was anticipating getting outside, finally getting out. He remained obedient he didn't try to take matters into his own hands a year earlier he had heard God speak and he went into the ark a year later he hears God speak and he exits the exits the ark we know we've said that Noah sought to to do everything that was right in the sight of the Lord he tried to do everything according to God's standard of right and wrong and he did so before he entered the ark He did while in the ark and he was going to do so outside of the ark. Nothing had changed in the midst of his waiting. And oh, that we would desire to be obedient to the word of God. In that same way. Oh, that we would seek to faithfully embrace it as authoritative and sufficient for everything in our lives. Oh, that we would submit ourselves to it. Oh, that we would use it properly and read it carefully and listen to it prayerfully and obey it willfully. May that be our prayer. Then, of course, the third way he acted in faith was through worship. Verse 20 says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The first thing that he did, there's there's actually no break there. It was just and Noah went out and worshipped. God said, go, he went and began to worship. Because worship is the proper response for those who are recipients of God's grace. For those who are recipients of gratuitous mercy, worship is the proper and natural response. Grace, saving grace, elicits praise and thanksgiving. Redemption evokes worship. Worship is a natural and right response to salvation. And at that time, for Noah, worship was expressed in the offering of sacrifices. And based on what we know from Leviticus chapter 1, he's doing several things as he offers all of these, all of these sacrifices. It wasn't just one, one animal. Repetitively, repeti- repetitively offering these sacrifices, he's doing several things. One, he's confessing that God's judgment was just. He was also acknowledging his own sin and guilt and the sin and guilt of his family. He was also thanking the Lord for the grace that had been exhibited to him and to his family. And for them having been delivered through judgment. And he was also declaring on his behalf and the behalf of the family. He was declaring their resolve to continue to live in a holy way. In a holy manner. Sorry. But we also know that he wasn't acting or mediating on his own behalf or the behalf of the family. He was mediating on behalf of all the families who would eventually multiply and fill the And we know that based upon God's response. Look at verse 21. It says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is Evil from his youth, neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. Boys and girls, you'll remember from our study of Leviticus, I hope that the language of the Lord smelled a pleasing aroma does not mean the Lord actually smelled the odor coming from the burning animals. And I think you also know that not just from our study of Leviticus, but you also know that from question nine of the catechism that you uh, learned earlier in Sunday school right? that question is what is god i won't put you on the spot but i think you could probably answer to yourself right what is god god is spirit is a spirit and he does not have a body him, right which means he doesn't have a nose So he wasn't actually smelling the odor. But what what does it mean? Well, it means very simply Moses is using metaphorical language. And what he's saying is that the sacrifices Noah offered were acceptable to God. God accepted those sacrifices. Those sacrifices propitiated or they appeased God's wrath and restored his favor. So, what we learn is, as we've said the last couple of weeks, that the problem of sin had not been dealt with completely. Noah and his family brought sin into the new creation. Judgment was only partial. But despite the the, the depravity of mankind, despite the depravity in their hearts, the depravity that would always be present based upon the fact that the world is fallen. The Lord would never again judge the world as he did at that time. He was not going to do that again. And he would never again judge the world in this way because Noah's sacrifice, the the Lord had graciously determined to accept that sacrifice. God pronounced based upon that sacrifice that what Noah had done was appropriate and right. He received it and said, I will not judge the world in this way again. But notice in verse 22, he said, while the earth remains. And that means at some point, the earth is not going to remain. And it's not going to remain because... There is going to be, not a partial, but a full and final judgment. There will come a day where there will be a completely new heavens and a completely new earth. But until then, we will experience the natural order of days and nights, of weeks and months and years. We'll we'll experience the natural order of the seasons of winter, spring, summer, and fall. And again, that's because the Lord will will not carry out partial judgment. And of course, the question that we ask is why? Why would he do that? And the answer is twofold. One, he did so in order that his plan of redemption would be carried out to completion for his glory and for the good of his son, the Lord Jesus. He's assured us of stability. He's assured us of even predictability of the progression of time so that His plan of redemption will come to fruition as He intends and as He has always intended. And secondly, even though Noah's father Lamech had hoped his son would bring rest, that's what Noah's name means, Lamech was hoping that Noah would bring the rest that mankind needed. But the rest that he brought and that he provided was not complete, and it was only temporary. He may have been righteous in the eyes of and and compared to all of those around him in, in his generation. But he was far from perfect, and we're going to see that very soon. And he did not remove the curse of Adam's sin. Even the most righteous of sinners cannot pay the debt that is owed to an eternal God. Even the most righteous of sinners don't have enough righteousness that's necessary for salvation. Noah could not provide either. Therefore, his mediation... His mediation was meant to point to a greater mediation, and his sacrifices were meant to point to a greater sacrifice. There is only one mediator between God and man, and there is only one sacrifice great enough to satisfy God's complete and total judgment and to secure salvation in the place of, uh, on the behalf of sinners. And that one and only mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly laid down himself, laid down his life to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. It's his sacrifice alone that appeases God. It's his sacrifice alone that returns God's favor. No other sacrifice will do. Salvation is in him alone. He is the only one to whom we should look because he alone has made an end of all our sin. I want to close with this, this final thought for us to consider. The first thing Noah did when he got off the ark was worship. And again, as I said, that worship uh, was proper. Worship is a proper response of those who are recipients of God's gratuitous mercy, of His, of his eternal grace and saving grace. Grace elicits thanksgiving and praise. Redemption evokes worship so consider this beloved our salvation is extraordinary it's extraordinary we were chosen in christ before the foundation of the world we were predestined to adoption as sons and daughters of god we're redeemed we're forgiven We have hope, we have spiritual life, we have spiritual sight. We've been guaranteed an inheritance. Faith has been given to us as a gift. Salvation has been given to us as a gift. We've been chosen to be holy and blameless. We've been shown the mystery of God's will. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been shown kindness. We've been seated with Christ at the right hand of God in heavenly places. We've been saved for good works. We've been brought near. We've been reconciled to God and to others. We've been made fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. We've been made fellow fellow heirs and the partakers of of God's promise to Abraham. We've been given boldness and access to God. We've been been given gifts to serve the body. We've been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We're living stones that are being made into the temple of God. That's just Ephesians. Our, Our salvation is extraordinary. We've been moved from death to life, from bondage to freedom, From enemies to children, from awaiting wrath to experiencing forgiveness, from consequence to inheritance, from defeat to victory. But what's better than all of that? You say, can there be something better than that? Yes. Those are all benefits of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we've been given Christ. He is ours. We're His. The question is, how can we worship Him in any other way other than as He both deserves and desires? We cannot. We should not. He alone is the object of our sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. And by the way, it makes sense, does it not, that we're called to gather and to do it every week, the first day of the week? (sighs) May that always be so. Let's pray together. Father, by your spirit and grace, would you allow and enable us to receive this word with faith, and love and lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives for your glory, for the sake of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and for our good. Amen.